Recent studies have concluded that many Catholic parishes are failing to reach the next generation of Catholics, today's youth. Why is that? And what can we do to change it? Join us as we examine the state of Catholic youth ministry today with special guest Bob Rice, professor of catechetics at Franciscan University. I'm Father Michael Scanlon, Chancellor of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. talking about Catholic youth ministry today. We have a regular panelist here, Dr. Regis Martin, professor of systematic theology here at the university, and Dr. Scott Hahn, professor of biblical theology here at the university. And our special guest is another professor at the university, Bob Bryce, a seven-year youth ministry veteran. I don't know how they compute that, but we'll take it. After one year, you're a veteran. All right. <laughs> but you're assistant professor of theology and catechetics here and director of youth ministry concentration. Mm -hmm. You've given over 200 presentations to catechists nationwide, spoken to all the high school age groups, but here at our summer conferences. And you've also evangelized using the media, radio, TV, video and music in particular. That's what I'm aware of what you're doing. And podcasts, whatever they are, but well done <laughs> on it. Yep. So um, we're talking today about Catholic youth ministry. And um, we'll start with asking you, Bob, how would you characterize the state of Catholic youth ministry today? What's going on? Well, I'd say it's pretty hopeful, but there's a very long way to go. Um, you know, what we're facing now as we enter into the new millennium uh, are a lot of challenges that are facing the church in terms of reaching out to youth. Uh, we have a very strong postmodern culture that most readily affects the youth. You know, there's really not a sense of truth or even a sense of hope. But in the midst of that, the church is working very hard through a lot of different movements to try to inspire a new faithfulness in young Catholics. I think it's kind of the worse things get, you know, the darker it gets, the, the brighter the light can shine. But certainly, I think we have a long way to go. I'm going to ask you an unusual question because this word postmodern comes up a lot. But for a lot of us, modern was always the latest thing. How do you get <laughs> postmodern? You yeah. know, uh, what designates that as different? The, the <laughs> problem is that pe somebody around the 80s and 90s named what was going on modern, yeah. and now everything is mixed up because we don't know how to, uh, how to gauge it. Yeah, I mean, there's something really important, though, about this term because it captures, it captures a spirit yeah. that, uh, yeah. I mean, Pope Benedict refers to this as the dictatorship of relativism, uh -huh. you know, because modernism claimed to be objective, scientific, you know, and you had to kind of keep your religion out of the consideration. God is not part of the discussion. That's what objectivism, you know, was. There's an anti-objectivity yeah. in postmodern culture. Uh, and so you, not only are you not objective, you are opposed to those who claimed to be objective. 
And so it's, it's a kind of dogmatic relativism. You know, the idea that there is one story into which all of our lives must fit, you have war against that. There is no meta-narrative. There is no one story. It's your story, and you can change it whenever you want. Right. And there is this pile of books, Shakespeare, Dante, Chaucer, mm -hmm. you know, the Western canon written by dead white men. Yeah. And this has yeah. to be deconstructed so it doesn't control anybody. And so you're taught to read in a way that deconstructs text, but you're even more, you're just taught to live in a way that is radically informal. Not just so informal, but anti-formal. And it's really it's up to up for grabs. You just grab whatever from the past and pretty much yeah, yeah. That's, that's right. It's, yeah. yeah, it's defined by what it's not, which is a, yeah. you know really what postmodernism is. It's just it's not modernism. Yeah. Uh, you know, sociologists are having a tough time to figure out what is this generation about? Even in the way they dress, uh, it's a, it's a yeah. mix of all different looks, you know, as a college professor here, and uh -huh. I know you guys see it, you know, there's no like one fashion statement. They're wearing bell bottoms from the 70s, and they're wearing jean jackets from the 80s, and they're wearing, you know, flannel shirts from the 90s, and it's just this kind of yeah. smorgasbord <coughs> of cultures that can't really define itself who it is because really at, at the middle of it, it's nihilism. There's nothing right, at the yeah. center of yeah, it. Yeah, I, I think uh, the real distinction begins with where you put reason, mm. the place of reason. Uh, the, the modernist would accept the whole enlightenment project uh, and enthrone reason at the center. Right. But in a postmodern world, reason itself has been dethroned. Uh, and it is, it does invite a kind of cheery nihilism uh, yeah. in which nothing means anything and you just sort of reinvent yourself from moment to moment. You know, the fact that you just took this little side street, you know, asking <laughs> what do we mean by postmodern, yeah. I think captures the challenge of youth ministry today. Absolutely. Because, I mean, you can say that postmodern culture is a kind of uh, adolescent rebel child of modern culture, you know. Uh, but at the same time, you have to recognize that there is something, like, like you were saying, Regis, nihilistic about this. I mean, it really is defining itself by what it's opposed to or what it won't affirm. And, you know, that, that's a tough, that, you know, yeah. it's not just a steep climb. It's sort of like crumbling down as you put your feet down, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's a challenge like I never, I, I did youth ministry in the 70s, and in the early 80s, but I never faced the kind of cultural forces that... Right youth ministers do today. You know, Bob, I was really struck by my father's introduction. Uh, apparently, you've spent seven years in the trenches. Yeah, even, even a little more than that. And, and that, yeah. it seems to me, is a sign of hopefulness, right? That you've survived that uh, ordeal on the Western Front, uh, and you still seem to be smiling. And you, have, <laughs> you have a sense of hope. Well, I have a sense of hope because young people are so amazing. You know, oh. I really feel that uh, even with all these cultural barriers and, you know, the lack of reason has, has inserted itself into just emotion and feeling. And many times it's a response to emotion. I think the challenge today isn't so much to get them to say yes to Christ, you know, as it was kind of in the 80s and 90s. It's to say no to other things. Yeah. They feel like they can have everything. The whole but they have that youthful exuberance and passion, yeah. which is really contagious to work with. And you yeah. feel at least there is a sense of doing something, which sometimes in adult ministry, that's the biggest challenge to get right. them to, to do well, anything with it. Let's compare for a moment where, where the Catholic seat is compared to the Protestant. Mm. Uh, yeah. You know, we see, give us your analysis of... Well, I'll give you somebody else's analysis, which will probably be a little bit more weighty. In uh, 2004, a book was released called Soul Searching, and there was a huge survey on the religiosity of adolescents in America. And they uh, you know, interviewed thousands and thousands of teenagers using very different statistical means, qualitative, quantitative things. 
And unfortunately, Catholic teens fared fairly badly uh, when compared to their uh, Protestant peers. Uh, most of them didn't know how to articulate their faith, uh, didn't know what was going on, had less attendance in faith services. And, and this can really be directed towards the fact that our brothers and sisters in Protestant denominations have been doing a much stronger, more focused ministry towards youth than you find in American Catholic churches. But there's also, I always want to put in one caveat early. Please. We've got a lot to learn there. Yep. But you're a Catholic youth if you get baptized in a Catholic church. Mm -hmm. You're not a Protestant youth usually until you make your own faith commitment sometime Absolutely. down the line. So therefore, we suffer a lot more in nominalism. Sure, but then the challenge I think for us is, do we have active youth programs in our parishes that are calling them to that kind of commitment, right, right. calling them to renew right. their baptismal vows? Because, yeah, even though they get baptized in the beginning and they get sacramentalized as they continue, the fact is evangelizing and catechizing really is before sacramentalized. I mean, yes. it isn't one or the other, but yeah. you've got a lot of Catholic kids who are sacramentalized but not evangelized, and most certainly not catechized. Yeah, and Paul VI in Evangel Enunciandi talks about it's even somewhat of a mistake to distinguish evangelization right. with sacramentalization because they should be flowing yes. right into each other. We put the cart before the horse many times, right. uh, and that's a real challenge, I think, in today's Catholic Yeah, um, I keep thinking of uh, John Paul II, uh, who, who felt that contagion. Yes. And, and also was able to exude a, a sense of enthusiasm and warmth and exuberance. And, and his affection for the young was, was, was uh, longstanding yes. and genuine. And he would frequently exhort them, uh, if you want peace, if you want joy, you can't possess things. It's really a matter of being. Yeah. And this being is the result of an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what he was always interested in trying to impart, a sense of his presence, yes. which, which uh, captures uh, and, and enthralls uh, the young. How do we set that up? How do we transmit that event? Yeah. Well, I think the first way we do it is by building loving relationships with teenagers so that they can experience the love of God through human contact. Mm -hmm. uh, many times a teenager's experience of adults are often a fairly negative or oppressive experience. You have a culture that sets them against their parents, even if the parents are great, but we also know statistically there's a huge amount of broken families, which puts them in uh, difficult situations. Um, and so, find, you know, they, they might experience a teacher in a classroom, but many times, depending on their school system, that can be pretty negative. So what we want to do is we want to help them encounter loving people who are able to witness God in their culture yeah. and in their world. Witness is the first and irrevocable form of evangelization, as Paul VI talks about. And until we can really be mentoring teenagers and showing them love and showing them dignity and value and worth in a one-on-one -on -one way, that was the great gift about John Paul II. I mean, it was really a charism that he could be in front of three million people and you felt like he's yeah. talking to me right yeah, now. Right, like he's just right. looking right into me yeah. and he's whispering these words to me and he had such a gift with youth yeah. to be able to communicate oh, with them right. that way. Now, we might not be able to have that gift, but we can speak one-on-one, -on -one, but that means we have to be willing to engage their culture yeah. and engage their world and have an attitude more of, we're gonna reach out to you, yeah. as opposed to, why aren't you coming, yeah. why aren't you coming to us I more? just remember so well his visit to Washington, D.C., and mm -hmm. the youth gathered there saying, John Paul II, we love oh, you. Yeah. And John Paul II comes out in the balcony and he sings back, John Paul II, he loves you. He <laughs> yes. loves you right, back, right. you know. I mean, yep. to be able to 
just relate to that response immediately yeah. and not worry about all the guards. I mean, when you think about <laughs> it, walking right. out on a balcony alone right. is not exactly you know, there, the... There is something in Pope Benedict, too. It's not just, you know, it's mm -hmm. not just one person, yes. his right. personality. It really is an office that is drenched with supernatural grace because when he went to Cologne, it was evident. Yes. When he went to Australia for World Youth Day, you know, a couple of years later, Australian Catholic authorities were describing, you know, how seminaries are now bursting at yes. the seams with all of these new vocations yeah. that can be traced right back to World Youth Day yeah. there too. So we, we have a lot of things we can capitalize on, yeah. but I think you put your finger on it that, that this is a culture, mm -hmm. the likes of which we haven't seen before. And it's not just embrace Christ, it's going to have to be distance yourself from a lot of things. Yet, as a youth minister, you can't become hypercritical of the culture with which they identify themselves, you know. Yeah. Yep. You have to be selective and strategic in the way that you help them to analyze those sorts of things. I remember as a kid in the 70s, you know, for me, it was truth over desire. You know, and so you try to conform your desires to the truth, like reason. You know, that was what yeah. the Holy Spirit was to kind of enkindle in, in within us, that light of truth. And yet, you know, it, by the 80s and 90s, there was a sort of tug of war, a parody between truth and desire, you know, and you would try to rationalize what it was you wanted. Now I think desire just trumps truth, you Absolutely. know, plain and simple. Yeah. Whatever you want, go for it. And get that's it immediately. That's right. Not just food and drink, but most especially sex. I mean, but, but that's I, always been there. Idolatrous, you but, know. But you have to distinguish radically between desire and appetite. The mm. deepest desire you have, even if you don't know it, is the desire for God, the longing for God the meaning of everything that's yes. the religious sense right. but it's tricky in order to get people uh, to approach christ or to allow christ to possess them you've got to somehow disabuse them from a culture that would otherwise consume them right. but you don't want to reduce your proposal to moralism and say look this is what it means to be a christian you can't do the following right I mean, that's not very appealing no it's actually very restrictive and something we find about this particular generation is they're extremely spiritual um, you know, they, uh, as opposed wow. to uh, a modernism beforehand, which actually lent itself more towards atheism. Like science uh, was the absolute. Exactly. Yeah. There's really, you know, most uh, teenagers today feel like there is a God. We were created by God. Yeah. It's more of a deism, uh, you know, that God created us, sent us spinning, except he'll help us out when we need to. Yeah. But the idea of Christianity or these meta-narratives, you know, like there is a church or something right. organized, really goes against the grain for them. So, yeah, or that there's one story. Yes, exactly. It's overarching, and you've got to conform your own narrative to this structure. It's in place. It's divine. Yeah. 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 Back, in the, back in the 90s, Robert Jensen wrote an article for First Things entitled, How the World Lost Its Story. Yeah. And I mean, that was a nice, yeah. apt summary description of what postmoderns do. Yes. You know, they try to live without any kind of cohesive narrative into which they can fit their life experience, you know. And it's tough because, you know, you and I know from experience, it's hard to write a book. Mm. But to try to write your life while you're living it as a book, you know, yeah. forget it. Yeah. <laughs> well, when we come back, we're going to try and write the life of what's going on in youth culture today as it pertains to what kind of youth ministry do we need to meet them where they are and bring them where God wants us to take them. Stay with us. It's just a great conviction and passion of mine to, to share the truth of Christ with the youth um, in particular because they're, 
that's what they're looking for. That's what, that's what everybody's looking for. St. Augustine says, our hearts are restless until they rest in you, O God. Youth are really searching for something. They're restless. They're searching for meaning in their lives. And when they encounter Christ in youth ministry, they encounter the answer to their restlessness. People are looking for love, and they'll get that, and they'll take the world's lies and try to, try to make themselves feel loved. And if it's through homosexual relationships, if it's through drugs, it's like whatever makes you feel good. But the only thing that's good is God. <laughs> and so if we're looking in that way, if we're saying that God is good, then, then it takes all that other stuff away. And those people are going to be reaching for, for God instead of for those substitutes, for those counterfeits. I came here to Franciscan not only to grow in my academics, but also to grow in my faith and to become really what God wanted me to become. I walk into Mass sometimes and I'm flabbergasted about the crowds that attend even daily Masses. It's just so refreshing to see so many young people on fire with God and excited to be at Mass, excited to celebrate the Eucharist. Franciscan University of Steubenville is academically challenging and passionately Catholic. Talking about youth culture today and youth ministry, how the two interact and what kind of ministry do we need to follow in order to deal with the youth where they are. We started off talking about what's different about the youth and uh, with our special guest, Professor Bob Rice, we're now gonna put it to you, okay, if the youth are different, what's the difference that has to happen in youth ministry? Well, I think the difference that has to happen, you know, we've been talking a lot about culture and postmodernism and other things, is that we really have to see ourselves as missionaries to a youth culture. In fact, that's the language the General Directory of Catechesis talks about. It says that mm -hmm. catechetical activity towards adolescence needs to have more of a missionary nature than a strictly catechetical one. Um, teenagers aren't large children or small adults. Uh, they are their own. You can say that again. Uh, that one's worth a lot of pondering. <laughs> They're not large children or small adults. They have their own culture. Okay. They do, and so understanding the culture, and most importantly, diving into the culture, is really the challenge of reaching to youth. You know, many times in classroom situations, we're speaking at an adult culture level, and it's just going over their heads and they don't care, but to really tell them that we love them, and this is what we want to communicate, yeah. that we care about them, we have to be able to enter in and not be afraid, uh, not be afraid of the culture. To right, do so, so that uh, idea of a missionary approach, I mean, missionaries learn quickly that you have to learn the language, mm -hmm. but it's not just enough to get the alphabet and the dictionary down. Yeah. You have to learn the cultural diction. You know, it's, it's a kind of dialect, and yes. especially from region to region. Uh, that's the objective reality of youth ministry today. I think it was always true, but it's truer now than ever. I think there's a subjective attitude, too, that has to come in, and that is not just to be a missionary, not just to show them love, but to be holy. Mm. You know, I think of Mark Hart and other people who are really passionate about youth ministry, and, I mean, they long to be saints first, yes. missionaries, and then it's not just an affection or respect for young people. It's a, it's a kind of divine passion that has to define them and their lives so that, you know, to bring people up to here, you've got to be up there. Yes. You, know, you just can't have them bump up. You've really got to raise yourself up in the power of the Holy Spirit with a kind of divine passion for these young people. Yes. You know, John Paul, Pope <coughs> Benedict, you know, they, they radiated that kind of love and that supernatural hope. That has to become 
you know, part and parcel of the job description. And to be able to articulate that to teenagers, yeah. you know, which right. means that it, it's an assumption that we're not just knowledgeable of the culture, but we're ready to dig into the culture and find what is good in the culture. One of my favorite phrases in the documents of Vatican II from the document Ad Gentes, uh, it talks about how missionaries uh, lay bare the seeds of God's word that lie hidden among their fellows. For all the negative things you can say about postmodern culture, and there are certainly a lot of them, right. there's still a culture made by men and women in the image and likeness of God. And so the challenge for missionary is to go into the culture, uh, you know, find what is good and lift that up as see this is God's word lying hidden among you, to be able to find those messages, even if they're messages of longing, to find those messages and go down to what is truly a desire in our heart that desire for yeah. God. Let, let, maybe I, if I could put it a little more critically. Please. Uh, uh, it, it, it seems to me that the reason the thrust has to be evangelical, a missionary <laughs> emphasis, is because for the most part, they don't know anything. They don't have anything. Uh, it's sort of a, a dark age. We live in a post-Augustinian world amid the collapse of empires and structures. We're like Benedict. You know, venturing forth uh, to somehow accost the barbarians and give them Christ. But unlike the barbarians of, of the early medieval period, the culture that, that the kids today are held captive by is largely something they didn't create. Yeah. I mean, the barbarians believed and, and had genuinely appropriated these superstitions. So the Christians had to penetrate that with the leaven of the gospel. But nowadays, these kids are bound by a culture they didn't even shape. Yes. Older people did that. Yes. And, and they're co-opted, corrupted by something they don't even understand. And when you talk about empires falling, the first thing that came to mind was the family. When yeah. you look at it right now, the heart of all the problems and even the creation of youth culture has been the absence of family. Right. Uh, you know, with the divorce rate being so high, uh, it's hard to find on television today, and teenagers, you know, consume media to an extreme extent. Yeah. Um, a model of a loving mom and dad. It's always a single parent somewhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, even in kids' cartoons, you know, where are the parents? It's always the kids are the smart ones, the parents are the dumb oh, ones, or the yeah. parents are absent and the kids are doing all the thing. And this is just a mindset that is continually ingrained on them, yeah. you know, throughout. Yeah. And in the midst of that, that nothingness, you know, yeah. it, it abhors the vacuum. It just falls into this relativism, this Lord of the Flies type attitude among themselves of not really sh being sure what is right, what is wrong. Is there a right? Is there a wrong? What's left is what makes me happy. And then that becomes deified. So let's compare that. Uh, were our evangelical Protestant brethren, uh, were they there before us in realizing <laughs> that you had to missionize, that you, had, that you couldn't just... Uh, assume that they were going to come up in the culture? I, I think so. I mean, to be sure, historically, they were doing more dynamic evangelistic outreach to youth than Catholics were, particularly in the beginning of the 20th century. Now, Catholics had uh, school systems, yeah. and that was really, you know, when we thought of youth ministry, we had all of our kids, for the most part, in Catholic schools, and that was serving the need. But as the generations shifted and the attitude shifted, particularly in the 60s and 70s, uh, we stayed with the familiar system. We stayed with CCD. We stayed with classroom-type things. We stayed with schools. Yeah. And many times we missed um, the, the larger body. We started to really administer sacraments more than evangelize. 
with sacraments. And that became our youth programs, particularly for dioceses that had confirmation when they were older. I think a part of that, too, was just what happened after Vatican II. Mm -hmm. In the late 60s, throughout the 70s, even into the 80s, uh, you have this relativism that has come into the church with respect to doctrine yes, and morality. Absolutely. You know, so sure we had a parochial school system and sure we had women religious and the brothers as well. And I mean, I mean, what the Catholics had through the 40s and the 50s was the envy of Protestantism. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, youth ministry yeah. existed to make up for what we lacked as Protestants. Yeah. You all had this institutionalized yeah. system that just cranked out, you know, millions of yeah you know, relatively well-formed Catholics, and then the 60s. Yes. And afterwards, I mean, we just kind of assumed that if we maintain this, well, now, you know, with the, with the loss of religious vocations, with the doctrinal and moral relativism, I mean, many Catholic schools, I won't say most, though I wonder if I could get away with saying most, but many Catholic schools practically vaccinate Catholic kids against the Catholic faith. They get just a little bit, you know, and I've talked to the parents, I've talked to kids, you know, in all of the subjects, you're expected to study and learn homework and all that. But right. religion is a kind of feely-meely sort of, you know, yes. uh, prayer concerns. And I mean, that's that's if you're in they're still trying to get the they're right results. Yeah, but and I mean, it's a reconstruction that is going to take another generation to really finish and to do it well. And what about technology in the midst of all this? Oh, you know, yeah. I, I, a survey just came out that said that the average teenager spends eight and a half hours a day in media. And they actually said it's more like ten and a half hours a day because they're multitasking. They're doing numerous media things at Texting once. Texting while they're on the internet. Exactly. And the survey said that their kids are today are spending more time with media than adults do at work, except kids don't take the weekend off. Oh, boy. Technology, boy. and particularly media, boy. is really the heart of youth culture. If you want to say what is, you know, it might have been created because of the lack of family, um, you know, or the lack of uh, family involvement, you know, particularly as we went through different world wars and, you know, fathers went off to war and mothers went to work and then the school system becomes surrogate parents, which they never let go of that grasp of. Yeah. What's really filling the gap today is teens are being more educated by the media right. than That's anything so else. Yeah. And as long as we, you know, we have, to be we have to be entering into the world of media to be able to communicate and with them. And by media, you don't just mean TV and radio. No. I mean, you, oh, no. you mean iPod. Right. You mean internet. text message, internet. Yes, yeah. especially it, the it internet. It brings about a whole new philosophy of communication. It's not right. just putting good shows on TV. It's really enculturating the message throughout. That was something John Paul II well, you're, you're, you're talking about, about a, a massive virtual reality in yes. which increasingly young people live. And help them to articulate what they see. I mean, that's the other problem. Because they have no right and wrong, we have to help them digest, okay, these are, this is the message of this movie that you right. just saw or these television things that you're seeing. And again, it goes into engaging culture. Yeah, I, I, I was struck a, a, a while back reading something by an Italian uh, journalist. He said, when fascism took over Italy, it scarcely brushed the soul of the average Italian. Mm. But nowadays, with the social media, the soul is not only touched, but it is somehow mutilated mm. uh, uh, and uh, eviscerated by this influence. I mean, whole generations, whole populations have been co-opted by these new media of social communication, and the soul of the Italian doesn't belong to them yeah. anymore. 
this is a, this is a terrible crisis that we yeah. face. Uh, government has always been, you know, sort of external. Culture is what is internal. You know, yeah. so it's, whether it's fascist, Nazis, or communists, you know, that kind of oppression being external, yeah. you know, is more like, you know, forcible rape that you try to resist, whereas this is seduction. Yeah. Yes. I mean, this is, this really is tapping insidious. into the, the deepest roots of desire that really touches, as you were mentioning, appetite more than desire, the body much more than the soul. Let's just sort of you know, go around the soul, the intellect and the will, and go right to the appetites. And the problem is that many times people working with youth, their first reaction is reject it. That's right. You know, like this, this is so wrong, this is so horrible, we should have nothing to do with youth culture, let's hide in a bubble, right. you know, let's go somewhere yeah. where it's safe. But unfortunately, that you know. Not enough. You have to well, connect. that's not the way, and that's not the way the Catholic Church well, but has how evangelized do you, how the world. How do you compete? Uh, how do you approach a young person, eight and a half of whose hours each yes. day are somehow co-opted by something that's not exactly advancing the good, the beautiful, and the true? I often think of the story of um, Gideon, you know, where God. Uh, took some of the weakest men, you know, about 300 or so men, turned away 30,000 yes. men so that God could prove that he won the battle, uh, not, the strength of, uh, not the strength of the army. I think in the same way today, particularly when you look at people in youth ministry, and I'm one of them, we're just a bunch of goofy people. I mean, we're not the <laughs> slickest, most cutting-edge people all the time, but we have something that the culture does not, which is love, yeah. and it is genuine. Yeah. And I can truly connect one-on-one yeah. -on -one with a teenager. It's a power the culture does not have, the media does not have. I am not a virtual friend. They can't yeah. block me, uh, you know. Yeah. I mean, when I'm talking to them one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. And I think as long as we are putting at the heart of, as we engage culture, this is why we have to be among culture, because they need to meet real people. They need to meet people who are striving for holiness, who are loving the Lord, that's like a nuclear bomb in their world. But you're also, you know, burning, you're, you're making CDs. Yes. You can find Bob Rice on Pandora. Yes. <laughs> They're going to have, you know, on their iPods, your, your songs and maybe even some of your talks. Right. And, and I think so it, it's digging the tunnel from both sides. Absolutely. I mean, you really yeah. have to have that incarnational approach to show love in a real way, and yet you also have to kind of ride the whatever waves are coming at you. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, it's not, it's not that you want them to unplug the iPod. You want them to change the channel, right? <laughs> it's a little so bit. So that they can hear yeah. you. And I want, well, it's, it's both and, because I'd like them to hear good media and be connected to it. But I also want them to be able to mentally process what are they seeing? What is the message behind what they're seeing? Do they realize that they're being seduced? Right. Do yeah. they realize the right. worldview of this story is pulling them away from what is true, what is good, and what yeah. is beautiful? Because yeah. if I, as a high school youth minister, can't help them be literate in understanding what the media says to them or what kinds of things they're continually digesting, yeah. then when they go to college, it's game over because they're going to lose a lot of structures that hold them in place. Even in bad family situation is a kind of structure right. that they can lose when they go to college. And so really helping them articulate what is good in their culture first because if you reject the culture, you reject them. Right. And then help them see what is bad in the culture and how to rise above what the culture is telling them who they are, which is a very low, you know, animal-based desire type right, creature, right. to the glory that God wants them to have. This is the real challenge we do, we have as missionaries to youth. Okay, well, we, when we come back, we want to talk about how the church uh, teaches and directs this, and also how other programs like Safe Environment have their impact here, so stay with us.
Youth ministry programs in a parish are absolutely essential because if there is no, if, if we aren't reaching out to the youth, then that, that's just a whole generation of the church that's getting lost. When I was in high school, I found I was looking for truth and for love and that there was something that I was missing. Um, and through youth ministry, I found that it was Christ that, that gives me that truth and that love. I had a youth minister who really was very influential in my life. She was there for me a lot. The biggest thing that stood out was her presence in my life. She was there for me and just listened to me. And from that, she was able to gain uh, my confidence so that she could share her faith with me and then help me to form my faith and understand the faith. Uh, and it all really just began with her willingness to listen and be there for me. I'm amazed at the caliber of students that are around me. These are, these are people that are striving to be saints. When you look around you, you see people who are full and people who are complete and people that are searching to grow in all areas of their life. This isn't something that you can find in most places. It truly has been a challenging academic experience that is preparing me very well for the medical field. Franciscan University is academically challenging and passionately Catholic. talking about youth ministry, the church's vision for it, how it should be done, what are the problems and struggles with our special guest, Professor Bob Bryce, who uh, teaches the catechetics, does the youth ministry. He's everywhere I show up with youth. <laughs> he's, he's there doing something and uh, have done, has done it very well. I have always a great <coughs> comfort when I come into our field house and Bob Rice's has been working with all the youth and has gotten them to the place of order and receptivity and excitement and then I can just toddle up there and uh, <laughs> drop a few <laughs> words and encouragement and things like that. So um, let's talk about the ministry, sure. you know, and what kind of ministry it needs to be and what are the impediments that could come there? What's the thrust as you see it? Yeah, I would say that, um, you know, when you look at the history of youth ministry in the U.S., uh, you know, we were talking about the power of, you know, the, the charism of the Pope uh, leading youth. Um, you know, when Benedict, you know, went to Sydney, all these vocations blossomed. This, a similar thing happened here in America in 93 when John Paul II yeah. came yeah. to World Youth Day. Yeah. Almost overnight, every diocese had an office of youth and young adult ministries. Mm -hmm. And really, that was a time of, of great growth mm. in America. You started seeing youth ministry more understood. Our bishops came out with a document called Renewing the Vision, which was a great uh, look at what it means to do Catholic youth ministry. And as we get in the 90s, it's kind of going up, 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 up. And then when we hit the new millennium, we started to see a severe downturn, uh, primarily for two reasons. 9-11, uh, which had a dramatic impact on the psychology of youth. Uh, you know, it was really a media-centered event where even though... 9-11 uh, happened within a few hours. When you watched the TV, it was over and over and over. You felt like we were continually under attack and under attack, particularly a younger person staring at the television set, consuming the media as they yeah. often do, really brought about a deeper sense of numbness, hopelessness, oh. fear. You know, so sure. the psychology of teens really started to shift there. Yeah. 
And then the other thing you had is the sexual scandal. This was something that was really the heavily public the very next yeah. year. You know, you was, I remember being in youth. I mean, one two combination. Being youth ministry the year 2000 and 2004 was such a huge dramatic difference between 9/11 and the sexual scandals. And the sexual scandals not only affected the mentality more of parents than the teenagers. I remember I had an evening where we wanted to talk to teens about what was going on and parents could come. The, the teens were fairly laid back about it. It was the parents who were very much upset about it, understandably so. As the bishops tried to make amend and certainly tried to do the right things in terms of uh, you know, renewing the trust of parents and families, what ended up happening was that many youth ministry programs began to get cut or reduced significantly. Though youth ministry had nothing to do with the sexual scandals, it bore a lot of the brunt of the, the litigiousness and many dioceses started to feel that relational evangelistic ministry with youth was too dangerous. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we need to put more guidelines on it and we need to be more restrictive about it. Now, not all of those things were bad because in many ways it does need more guidelines. But the restrictiveness of it, and it varies from different dioceses at times, but it's almost a discouragement of actually being relational with youth, entering into their world, Certainly letting them know the that you love on them. One part is Certainly the one-on-one -on -one part. Uh, the one priest I know now, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, you need to be under a spotlight or so far out in the open. The confidential ministry to an yeah. individual teen has to be so careful. We can be, we're afraid of teens now. I mean, we look at a teen walking in and suddenly we're scared. You know, I'll, I'll never forget the time. Uh, it was 2002, 2003, and of course we had a policy where you no longer can be one-on-one -on -one with a teen, you know, at least... Uh, in a private setting, you could still do it if there's a youth group nearby right. and have conversations. But I was locking up the church doors, and I walk out of the church, and there is a 14-year-old girl standing there. Somehow the other leaders must have missed her, or she was in the front looking for a ride. She didn't have a ride. Yeah. Now, normally, you know, a few months ago, a year ago, great, jump in my car, no problem, we'll get there. And I just froze. Yeah. And I thought to myself, is this what it's become? I am scared. Right. Yeah. I'm scared of this 14-year-old girl who just wanted to come to a youth night and her parents didn't pick her up. And now I'm making phone calls. I'm trying to do anything I can do. What she does, but what someone else sees. Exactly. You, you have to. You have to be free of even the whiff right. of impropriety. That's just paralyzing. Um, and it is. It's, right. it's. You know, how am I supposed to really minister and give my life to him? You know, I think of uh, Saint John Bosco. You know, who's the patron sure. saint of youth right. ministry, right. and his phrase was, uh, "The goal with teens is to love them." and let them know that they are loved. Yeah. It's this environment of love. Yeah, and you community. can't do that through a book uh, no. or in a committee or with a group. It has to be one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, that's how Christianity uh, succeeded in yeah. capturing well, an happily, entire pagan world. You Absolutely. can do it yeah. with groups, but you've really got to develop that right. where yeah. you are so personal within the interaction of the yeah. group that they experience it even though they don't have to be alone to know yeah. it. You know, you, you identify these two pivotal events in 01 and then in 02, 9-11 uh, and then the scandals that really, st that, that struck the media and then stayed around for a, a while. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because on the one hand, you know, these two events, these, these two sets of circumstances are entirely unrelated. And yet when you examine how the media spun those two events, you know, religion becomes the common denominator. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. religious fanaticism here, and then religious authoritarianism there, and and so you know, it reinforces what the postmodern ethos or anti-ethos really is, because you know, suddenly 
you're going to have to kind of figure out where to put the accent mark. You, you can't put it on the religious syllable anymore. It's just, you know, yes. it's going to be misperceived. And so I found that in, in the last 10 years or so, you have this growing sense that even among good Catholic Christian kids, when it comes to sexual ethics, don't impose objective morality. Gay, lesbian, transgender, yes. this sort of thing. Absolutely. That's a voluntary lifestyle. And even though I'm a practicing Catholic who goes to my youth group, be careful not to encroach, you know. The other thing was the emergence of environmental ethics. It's like the only mortal sin in the public square anymore is to not go green, you know. Yeah. And, and, to, and to not really be environmentally aware about your carbon footprint and that sort of thing. And, you know, you've really seen a reductionism of public morality to nothing really a whole lot bigger than just the planet. Yeah. You know, uh, but the persons have been really eclipsed, right, you know. Right. It's a bizarre sort and of thing. And in the media, I'm not sure it's everywhere, but that's what you find from the media. How is Pope Benedict handling this? What kind of direction does he give, you know, to us today with our youth ministry? Well, it was great when he came to New York. Uh, and really focused on Christ our hope. Yeah. Uh, you know, I thought it was so beautiful, you know, that he, he's written encyclicals on hope and encyclicals on love. You know, he's really speaking right. to the heart of the culture and this media-driven culture, which, yes, this is what the media is saying. Now, we who are rational adults can see beyond what the media is saying, but youth don't. Youth, that is the teacher for them. That's mm -hmm. the heart of it. Mm -hmm. So Benedict's message, and it was so beautifully covered by the media, they did a great job. Uh, you know, when he came to America. And John Paul II was always very big on, you know, it has to be covered by the media, it has to be covered by the media. This is one of the most important ways to reach to youth and this notion of Christ being our hope. You know, it, it's, no, it, it, it's not a coincidence as God is fighting against postmodernism that he would give us such, great, such a great philosopher in John Paul II and such a great theologian in Benedict XVI who is really trying to combine this idea of desire and understanding and rational thought to really challenge the youth to see themselves as more than what the media is telling them to be. You know, the media is just telling them to be passive consumers with things and just go on emotion. The call of Christ, it's a radical call to give up everything, but to gain Jesus Christ um, is the continual challenge that I think we're gonna he keep hearing uh, Benedict XVI speak over and over again to the youth and really challenge this lack of thought and this, and this formlessness, this relativism uh, that can just be so where, prevalent among them. Where do they get the parishes and the, where do you get programs yeah. that you can follow and do this? Well, you know, thing? I don't think it's so much about programs as it is people. Yeah. You know, I think that there are parishes that everybody laments the loss of youth in the parish. And I don't mean, and I know there's a lot of financial constraints, particularly, you know, in a tough economy about it. But I, I find many times that parishes are willing to raise millions of dollars for a new parish center but they won't staff a position on somebody that would work towards youth. And the question is, do we really have the heart and understanding to see that youth are in absolute crisis? I've been challenged by some oh. people in parishes saying, well, you want a person just devoted to youth, do you think youth are more important than the rest of everybody oh. else in the parish? The answer yeah. is, youth are in crisis. Yeah, I mean, the, the answer is yes, but you yes. don't want to put it yes, because because yeah. the youth aren't the church of tomorrow; they're the church right now. Right, they're yep. the church present, yeah. and they're in need. Why do we send lots of money to New Orleans when Katrina hit? Why yeah. did we send lots of money to Haiti when the earthquake hit? Because there was a huge yeah, need good. that was there, right. and many times this is a tsunami that nobody in the parish knows about. 
You know, they just sit there quietly in the pews when they show up in the pews. And high school isn't a phase. Sometimes they think of it as a phase. You know, they'll get out of it. It's a transitional period in their life. They come out much different. Are we there in the midst of that? Are we there speaking the words of hope as Benedict came to talk about? You know, that Christ is our hope. Over and over again, probably the most common uh, biblical usage by popes over the past few decades in, te- in speaking to youth is the parable, not the parable, the story of the rich young man. Yeah. Yeah. Will we go away sad? Mm-hmm. You know, anonymous. Right. A description yeah. of well, who well, we are. One of the reasons he goes away sad is because he has so many riches. Exactly. And that's also part of the problem. I, I, I read a statistic that is really sobering. In 1960, uh, well, since 1960, we have doubled real income mm. in this country. But we've also doubled the number of divorces, and wow. we've tripled the number of teen suicide, yeah. and by tenfold, we've increased the, the amount of depression among the young. So material prosperity, you know, hedonistic pleasure, these are not the answer to this deep driving desire for reality, truth. Mother Teresa spoke of the spiritual poverty of material affluence, you know, yeah. which is a wake-up call. It's, at least it's a, it's a preparation so that if our Lord allows in His providence the loss of material prosperity, we ought to be willing to kind of welcome that as sort of a, a blessing in disguise. I want to bring up something else, too, because, you know, I know your own experience from the 90s, discovering the catechism when it first came out and reading yeah. it all the way through and experiencing the grace of adult conversion at that point. And plus, you're talking about Pope Benedict, you know, Christ our hope, and John Paul, and that sort of thing. And yet, you know, besides what's happening here and through EWTN and other sources, I'll point to this, but I promise I won't touch it. Because a lot of mainstream Catholic institutionalized youth ministry is not exactly in line with John Paul and Pope Benedict and the Catechism. And so I just want to underscore one point, I'll leave it. That parents have got to be careful, not just to you know, support paying for a person in the parish, yes. but paying for the right person who's going to teach the right stuff to these kids, even as they try to build bridges into that kind of culture. Because a lot of times there's backwash, you know, mm. the, the culture just sort of inundates the program. And so you're really watering down what it is you're instructing. And I think you know, that kind of really careful discernment and selection has to be at work. I think the heart of it is you have to underst- you have to have someone who understands what Catholic evangelization is, right. as a difference to the semantic difference sometimes with our Protestant brothers and sisters who will often talk about evangelization as a moment, in the Catholic Church talking about it as this process of which catechesis is the major thrust of it. I'm really seeing today That's this so focus on catechesis yeah. with adolescents and a real understanding of what is catechesis. You know, John Paul II said in Catechese Tridende, the definitive aim of catechesis is to put people not only in touch with, but in intimacy with Jesus Christ. Right, right. And if youth ministers can understand that we impart doctrine, not to go back to a pre-Vatican way of memorization and learning for the sake of itself, but that this is actually getting to know who Jesus is and to fall more deeply in love with Jesus. This is the real turning point, I think, in a lot of our Catholic youth ministry to be able to approach yeah, doctrine yeah, the, with the love that yeah, never Yeah, the ends. catechesis is only good if it, if it somehow catalyzes yes, a relationship and absolutely. encounter with Christ. If it doesn't, then it's a distraction and maybe fatal. Get rid of it. Okay, well, we're going to try and uh, give summary thoughts to all this and what you can take away when you come back. So stay with us. 
Teens are really searching for love and acceptance in their life and with youth ministry we're able to bring them to this love and acceptance in the person of Jesus Christ as he offered himself for them on the cross with his arms wide open. A lot of retreats I've been on with youth, uh, one of the highlights for most teens is when they went to confession. They got to be forgiven of their sins, all that weight that was bearing down on them. Their teens are being bombarded with lots of things and they're falling into a lot of sins. and they just forget about the power of the sacrament and they forget that Christ came to forgive them, not to judge them, not to condemn them, but to save them. Here at Franciscan, students recognize their vocation as a student to study and get their work done and be a good nurse or be a good doctor or whatever they want to do and they take it seriously. I feel that the presence of the sacraments on campus, specifically confession and the Eucharist and Mass, helps me develop a really personal prayer life with Jesus Christ, my Savior. That's awesome. The people here are so energetic about their faith, and I think Franciscan has the perfect blend of everything. Franciscan University is academically challenging and passionately Catholic. Well, we've come to our last segment on Catholic Youth Ministry. We're here at Franciscan University, surrounded by our students working the equipment, and with our regular panelists and our special guest, who's also a faculty member, Professor Bob Bryce. And so we've come to the final moment on what should our viewers take away about youth ministry, particularly what can happen in the church uh, that can be productive. Well, I think uh, we should begin with some appreciation uh, for yes. the ministry that uh, you have been providing uh, for seven years. Uh, here's to seven more. Uh, you've, uh, it's, it's an amazing uh, achievement, I, I think. Uh, I, I tend to take Mark Twain's uh, uh, cynical view. Youth is wasted on the young, uh, mm -hmm. and I'm surrounded by young people. I teach them. I, I've got 10 kids who seem to be perpetually uh, infantile. Uh, yeah. But uh, the challenge, I, I think, is to create a culture that is a viable and compelling alternative to the junk culture they're already surrounded by and uh, impregnated with. And that the church has already provided. I, I think when Mother Teresa was moved to say that even in the midst of material uh, prosperity, people are poor, she was talking about anomy, a kind of anonymity, a loss of a sense of the self, no structure, no roots. And that's what drives people to, to suicide. But the church has created a culture. It's called the mass, the liturgy. It's an alternative mm. universe. I, I don't think we need a programmatic solution. We already have a solution. It's, it's called the church, the ambiance of worship, of celebration, the wonder awakened by sacramental encounter with Christ. I, I, I remember uh, being struck by, uh, by an exchange between Henri de Lubac uh, and Carol Vatiwa just after the council. Uh, uh, Father de Lubac said, the true evil of our age is the crisis of metaphysics, not morality, but being, not doing. Wow. And, and he described a certain disintegration, a degradation even, of the idea of the human person, the uniqueness of the human being. This has been lost. And to recover it, he said, we don't need stale arguments. 
We need what, what Irenaeus called the recapitulation of the sacred mystery of the human person. And this has already unfolded in Christ, in the church, in time, and right now it's unfolding in the parish. And we have to somehow infect young people with a certain desire to return uh, to the springs of parish life, to awaken and renew this sense of wonder about Christ. Good passion, yeah. along <laughs> with the substance. Scott. Well, I have three points. One relates to the world, the second to the church, and then the third to the home. I think we need to call Catholics, whether they're parents, grandparents, or just, you know, in their 20s or teens, to recognize what's going on in the world and to be really critical of it, but not just to reject it all. You know, that kind of reactionary mode tends to empower the very opponents you're facing. So to be very critical, discerning, selective, you know, and then the second thing is to get involved in the church, the parish, the sacramental life, but also youth ministry. You know, uh, get on a committee, you know, or, or talk to the people who are on that committee about funding not just another building, a center, but a person or two. And then forming an adult committee to support those people who are involved in youth ministry. And to, you know, if you find the right guy, you know, what are they... What, they, you know, what do you do with a cash cow? Well, you milk it. No, you feed it. <laughs> you know, find someone who can really connect with young people and then feed that person yeah. spiritually and in every way provide. But I would say the first thing, more than the world, the church is the home. You know, get involved with your kids. The best defense is a good offense. Spend time, you know, and not just watching TV with them, but turning the TV off and finding things to do with them. And uh, if it's throwing a Frisbee, you know, if it's going for a hike, you know, whatever. And it's a struggle for me. It's a struggle for all parents because we're busy these days. But we're going to regret being too busy for that sort of thing big time. And so I would just say Amen. prioritize that. Amen. Well, Bob, we really thank you. I've watched you in youth ministry many times with music, with preaching, with exhorting them, the rest. You're doing great work. But what would you give us as a summation thought here? Well, you know, one of my favorite stories in the Gospels is actually the story of finding Christ in the temple when he was a teenager. And I can tell you, as, he, as someone that works a lot with youth, I meditate on that quite a bit, the image yeah. of the face of Jesus as a teenager. And I also think it kind of has a bit of a funny story to it, because Jesus as a teenager, even though he was perfect, drove his parents crazy in that moment. I mean, they yeah. were worried to death of it. I mean, he was perfect, but he still drove his mom and dad up the wall that particular yeah. weekend. Now, if that's what a perfect teenager can do yeah. to their parents, <laughs> what can a sinful teenager do? And yeah. we have to have an awareness that adolescence is a real tough time in life. You know, without all these other cultural things going on, it's a challenge for a young person to come into their own. You know, and we all have been through that stage, but we haven't been through it like they're going through it right now with the added pressure of the culture and the media and the breakdown of families. I would love to bring them to the springs of parish life. Sadly, there aren't a lot of parish life that seem to have a lot of great springs going on. Many times the water is sepid, you know, and, and is frightening to drink of. And so what we're called and challenged to do is, first of all, to revigorate our parishes and parish life. It can't just be a great youth ministry program. It has to be a great parish. It has to be great liturgy. But I can find investing in youth and in good youth ministry people is a way to bring about a new life into parishes. Many parishes have found a whole new kind of conversion and life by being engaged in youth and having youth bring life and energy and vigor, which is the very adjectives that many of our parishes lack. If we invest in them, they are the church of today. 
if we can really engage their culture and help them understand it and transform it from within, this is the hope of the church that has been going on 2,000 years and will continue to go on because that's how the church deals with things, impregnates culture, and brings about the life of Christ incarnate amongst it. Okay, well, thank you, Bob. Thanks for all you do. And we have here uh, something that we hand out, send to you just for the asking, Youth and the Adult Catechesis. Uh, by Bob Bryce, and it's from SOA Magazine, but we will send you this copy just for the asking. And uh, my experience is that I love the youth. I have to deal with them a little differently. I always say some are drifters and some are surfers. The surfers want a high all the time, the next big thing, the next stuff, they're out there. And I have to tell them, your greatest high you're ever going to have is in the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's going to be a lie that won't pass and leave you looking for tomorrow. The drifters are just kind of, well, what's ever going on? I'll just kind of go with the crowd wherever it's headed. And I say, that's okay as long as you're with the disciples. If you have the discipline of a disciple and you're drifting with others who have the commitment to discipleship, then you can adjust one another, but you can keep going in not just any drift, but in the power of God's Holy Spirit to take you what will really bless you. And you'll never regret it. Drifter or surfer, you'll never regret having chosen the Lord Jesus Christ, the pathway of the Catholic Church, the direction of the disciplines there, the sacraments and prayer. It'll deepen and stir something so deep in you that you said, wow, I didn't even know it was there. This is better than all the stuff I was looking at or thinking of doing. So take the road that the Lord Jesus himself laid out for us through the church. Till next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you, show his face and have mercy on you, turn his countenance to you and give you his peace. May the Lord bless you, he who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. To receive a free handout on today's topic or to purchase a video of this show, call 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381 or call 740-283-6357. Email your request to presents at franciscan.edu or write to Franciscan University Presents, Franciscan University of Steubenville, 1235 University Boulevard, Steubenville, Ohio, 43952.